Hey everybody, what's up? Jason Carlson here from Twin Cities Wine Education and the Twin Cities Wine Podcast. Short episode today talking about the wine cellar. Not so much how to build a wine cellar, we'll get into all that later on. Not so much what to put into a wine cellar, that'll be a whole separate episode or two coming up. But rather what to do with the wines that you have right now. Now a wine cellar or a wine collection could be 600 wines, it could be 6 wines, I don't care. The goal here is to how to think about organizing your wines in a way that you can enjoy them to their maximum degree in the future. Join us for this little examination into the world of how to organize your wine cellar right after a word from our sponsor, The Wine Workshop. The Wine Workshop is our online wine education platform, and we are super proud of it. It's a fun, interactive, snob-free setting for learning about wine. It's a place you can learn at your own pace. We founded the Wine Workshop to bring down the barriers of wine learning, eliminating pretense, having more fun, bringing you topics relevant to you as a wine consumer. We're having a great time with students around the country and even around the world, and we'd love to have you join us. Learn more at thewineworkshop.net. That is thewineworkshop.net. Hope to see you there soon. All right, so a wine cellar does not need to be big. A wine cellar is simply a wine collection. The way that I define a wine cellar is to be able to serve any type of wine to any person with any food at any time. Basically just having options. Now, a wine cellar or a little wine collection could be a very, very small thing in the closet, tucked away in the corner, or it could be a separate room in your house or a separate house upon itself. I actually do know people that have a separate residence just for their wine collection, believe it or not. We'll talk about some of those people in a future episode as well. That'll be fun. But anyway, what I want to get back to here is you have a pile of wine. You have a collection of wine, maybe 12 bottles, 30 bottles, 100 bottles, whatever it is. How do you organize that collection in order to enjoy it to the fullest? Here we go. I want to break it down into two categories. Very simple to understand. Wines for now and wines for later. And within each of those, I have two subcategories, and then we'll do a little bonus at the very end as far as a fun way to plan your wine drinking. So let's start off with wines for now. Wines for now can be broken into two categories, food wines and fireplace wines. Food wines are wines that have a lot of acid or a lot of tannin, and they really need fats and proteins and flavor to balance it out. Food and wine pairing 101 Part of it is about matching the body of the wine to the body of the dish. Part of it is also matching up acidity and tannin to wines with fats and proteins because they work out really well together chemically. So when we're talking about wines for now, we're talking about wines that are more immediately drinkable. Now, this is 99.9% of the wine you'll find in a wine shop. Most wines are made to drink now, and the ones that have more acidity and more tannin are wines that could stand to be paired with food, as opposed to the other side of the coin, which are fireplace wines. Fireplace wines are wines that are lower in acid, lower in tannins, and those are juicy, drinky, gulpable wines that really don't need food in order to be enjoyed. Now, wines for now can be affordable. Wines for now can be expensive, but they're all made to be enjoyed at this moment. So I've got a range of wines in front of me right now that 
kind of fit into these different categories. So I just want to talk about a few of them here. So like for wines for now, food wines, Pinot Noir is a great example. Pinot Noir really benefits from being paired up with food, as does Cabernet Sauvignon. I've got a bottle of Alexander Valley Vineyards Cabernet Sauvignon in front of me, one of my favorite go-to Cabernets. Whenever we're doing the intro to wine classes, the Alexander Valley Vineyards Cabernet is our go-to Cabernet because to me it's the textbook Cabernet. It's the Cabernet that I can pour for people, you smell it, you taste it, and I can tell you with confidence that is how Cabernet Sauvignon should be. But it also has a lot of tannin, and the tannin kind of bites back at your palate and really dries out your palate unless you have some cheese or some cured meat or a 14 ounce ribeye steak right off the grill in front of you, then the wine tastes even better. So when we're talking about wines for now, food wines, that's a very good example. But wines for now, fireplace wines, I have a bottle right next to it here in front of me of another one of my favorite wines, Klein Ancient Vines Zinfandel. Some of you know how much I love the wines from Klein. Um, I honestly think they should charge more money for their wines, but don't tell them that because I want them to still be affordable like they are right now. And the Klein Ancient Vine Zinfandel is simply delicious and gulpable, endlessly gulpable. And because it has lower acid, lower tannin, because it has this big wave of fruit, this big peppery finish to it, you don't need anything more than a fireplace. You don't need anything more than just kicking back and having a glass of wine. So, Getting into some white wines, wines for now food wines, a lot of Sauvignon Blancs, um, a lot of things like Chablis, inexpensive white burgundies, you know, a lot of them lean toward food wines for sure. For wines for now fireplace wines, a lot of affordable Argentine Malbecs, affordable Australian Shiraz. These are wines that definitely you can kick back and just relax. Is there a gray zone in between? Of course there is. But the main thing is that you take a pile of your wine, put it to one side and say, these are wines for now. Pop them anytime, have fun drinking them, and try to separate them out between food wines and fireplace wines. Then we have the other side, and that is wines for later. Wines for later are wines that will improve with age. Wines that improve with age are often wines that are tannic to begin with or very high acidity that are just wound up that are just not showing very well in youth and they actually kind of blossom out a little bit more as they get older the analogy that i use a lot during wine classes is that the orchestra is playing but the curtain is still down um, those are wines that could use a little bit of time in order to develop these tertiary characteristics of aroma and flavor that you only get with time and within wines for later there to me there are again two subcategories wine of memories and wine of new experience. And what I mean by these are wine of memories, are a winery that you have visited before, a wine that you've had before, a winery that you're familiar with. Maybe you met the winemaker. Maybe you sat down through a presentation with them. Maybe you were proposed to on the terrace of the vineyard where that wine is from. Maybe you had a fantastic vacation somewhere. Maybe all of the above. Those are wines of memory. And this is one of the most powerful things that wine brings to us as human beings is the way that we can transport to another place and even another time with the right wines. So in front of me here, I have a bottle. It's actually a white wine, uh, 2014. So it's six years old right now from the Dow region of Portugal from Quinta do Roques, R-O-Q-U-E-S. 
uh, and it's made out of a grape called Encruzado. Don't go hunting for this wine. You cannot find it in America. I carried this back with me from Portugal from a phenomenal trip that we took there four years ago. And when we were having lunch with the winemaker, one of the best lunches I've ever had in my entire life, they were talking about Encruzado as a grape and how it is actually very age-worthy. It's going to turn into something very interesting after about 10 years of age. So I couldn't help but buy a bottle and bring it home. And when I pop that bottle, uh, what's going to be about four years from now, I'm going to be looking at my photos from that day, from that lunch, and enjoying them immensely. Another good example of a wine of memories, I'm holding a bottle of the Irie Vineyards Original Vines Pinot Noir. So this is a, a very rare, kind of expensive Pinot Noir from the Willamette Valley, from the first vines that were planted by David Lett in 1965-1966. And it's just an amazing thing to me to know that the juice that's in that bottle is coming from the first Pinot Noir vines that were planted in Willamette Valley. End of discussion. Stop. Period. I mean, it's just amazing. You know, if I could go back to Burgundy and meet the very first people that planted Pinot Noir in Burgundy, that'd be kind of cool, but I have to go back like 2,000 years. Here, I've actually got a bottle from the original vines, and those vines are slowly being replaced right now because they are diseased. Phylloxera has, has hit them. I've got a couple of bottles of that. So these are wines for later. They are wines of memories and of place. I've been to these places. As opposed to wines of new experience. So I've got a collection of wines down in my cellar that are waiting for the day for me to pop them, but I've never had them before. I don't really, really know what to expect. I've never been to that winery. I've, I've never been to the production facility. I've never met the winemaker. So there are all sorts of question marks, but there are wines that I'm immensely curious about. And my cellar is full of things like this because I'm a curious person. The wine that I'm looking at right now is called Taken from Granite. Taken from granite is from the Sierra Foothills in California. It's made from a very particular vineyard that I read one article about that has incredibly old vines. It's a Cabernet Sauvignon, and it's made by a winemaker who's who's very controversial in terms of his winemaking methods. You know, really is on the natural end of things, let the wine make itself, believes in bottle variation, things like that. It's a wine that I really can't wait to try, and I don't know when I'm going to have it exactly, but I'm very curious, and it will be a new experience from moment one when I pop that bottle. That is a very different mindset than going backwards in memory. To summarize wines for later, separate wines for later into two categories, wines of memories and wines of new experience. Now, the last thing I want to say, a little bonus idea here, is one that I love to share. I love this idea. Get some of those shelf, uh, those bottle tags. Get some of those little bottle tags that you can write on and write on them the date that you're going to pop that bottle. So we're talking about the wines for later collection here and start to map it out. What do you want to drink for Christmas in 2028? What do you want to drink for your 50th birthday? What do you want to drink for your 25th wedding anniversary? What do you want to drink on a random day in 2022? And start to put dates onto those bottles. That way you can rearrange that little collection of wines for later and have them in order of when you're going to pop them. And then that way, as you accumulate more wines for later, you can find the slots to put them in in order to kind of map out your wine drinking for the, for kind of the rest of your life. And what's fun about this is that you've committed to it because you've told 
hold the bottle when you're going to set it free, when you're going to let that wine come out of that bottle. It solves a very important problem that a lot of people have, and that's the problem of never popping a bottle because you've had the bottle for so long. And I've seen so many people have wines that have died while they own them because they're too attached to having that wine in the collection for so long. So the simple solution to that is to tell the bottle when you're going to pop it and never, ever forget that one of the best things about wine is that you still get to keep the bottle later on. So even after you drink the wine, you can write on the label what the event was that you drank it for and then put it in your rafters, put it on a shelf, do something with it. In my garage, we have a rafter that is just simply full of old wine bottles. So I can point at a bottle and say that was our fifth wedding anniversary. That was our 10th wedding anniversary. That is my 45th birthday right there. That's the one that we had on that trip. Wasn't that an amazing dinner? That kind of a thing. You can still keep the bottle. And that's one of the best things about wine is that it's almost like a souvenir. It's like a bonus souvenir that you get at the end of the meal, at the end of the bottle. So those are the hints and tips as far as organizing a wine cellar, simple categories, keep it simple, but keep on drinking the wines, wines for now and wines for later, wines for now, food, wines, fireplace, wines, wines for later, wine of memory and wine of new experience. Hope you enjoyed that. Hope you take that advice and go to your cellar and start to organize it. And again, if you have only four or five or six bottles in the cellar, start there. Wine deserves to be drunk. And I hope that this was going to work out well for you. Take care. Thank you. Bye.